Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Uh, you know, we don't have children's church during second service, so don't dismiss your kids. But I do have a couple of children's ministry-related items to pass along to you. I wanted to make sure everybody knew that there's not going to be an Awana ministry uh, this academic year at New Life. Um, we're disappointed by that, and we hope it's not a permanent situation, but we just weren't able to secure leaders uh, through the year this year for Awana. So keep that ministry in your prayers. Uh, keep the leadership of the church in your prayers as uh, we discuss uh, the future of that ministry and, and the families that will be affected by its absence this year. So I wanted to pass that along to everyone. Also, on a related note, uh, Karen Bow recently had accepted the position of chairperson for coordinating our children's ministry. Karen has had to step down from that position as she's returning to school full-time to uh, earn her teacher's license. So that position doesn't exist right now, and so uh, we're very grateful for Karen's uh, ministry in that area, um, and we're going to miss her a lot and pray for Karen as she starts school, but also pray for the leaders related to that as well as we think about the future of the coordinator of children's ministry position. So I wanted to make sure everyone was aware of those two things, uh, but the word that I'm going to read to you this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We will be looking at verses 12 through 27 this morning. So as you find your place to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the God, the word of the Lord abides forever. Please be seated. I don't know if you've all heard the story of the four church members called everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Anybody ever heard this before? 
All right, I'm going to tell you this story then about these four church members. The church had financial needs, and everybody was asked to help. But everybody was sure that somebody would do it, and anybody could have done it. But you know who did it? Nobody. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. And then the church building needed some work, and somebody was asked to help. But somebody got mad because anybody could have done it, and after all, it was actually everybody's job. And in the end, the work was given to nobody. And on and on it went. Whenever something was needed, nobody could always be counted on. Nobody visited the sick. Nobody gave her time. Nobody shared his faith. In short, nobody was a very faithful church member. Finally, the day came when somebody left the church and took anybody and everybody with him. And guess who was left? Nobody. Now, do you think that that actually happens to churches? Perhaps the more important question for us is, do you think that that could happen at New Life? Well, it certainly doesn't seem to be happening now, but it could possibly happen if we forget that we function as a body. We function as the body of Christ. And as a body, we are interdependent upon one another, interdependent upon one another. And I think if you've, if you've been involved in sports or watch sports, it seems that, for the most part, sports teams understand this interdependence. You, it, you can kind of tell in the way they talk. They have each other's backs. They pick one another up. They defend one another. They protect one another. They understand this interdependence. Military units understand this interdependence. Orchestras understand their interdependence. But I wonder sometimes if Christians really get this, if we really understand the interdependence of the church and our part in it. I mean, after all, we live in a country that prizes independence. One of our, our most famous documents as a nation is the Declaration of Independence. And while independence is not necessarily a bad thing, when we read the scriptures, we understand that it's community that is highly prized and valued by God. It's community that is exalted. And in writing to the church in Corinth, Paul asserts what we could call a declaration of interdependence in the verses that we've read, a declaration of interdependence. So as we move back to three services this morning, and with the need for volunteers that that brings, with college students returning back uh, for classes that begin at Ball State tomorrow, and later we'll get Taylor students, and with Pastor Bob getting ready to come back from his sabbatical next week, I wanted to remind you and to reflect upon the reality of the interdependence of the church and some of the implications that that has for all of us. Now, I have three points that are based on Paul's concluding assertion that we find in verse 27 where he says, now you are the body of Christ. And the three points I have are, first, you are the body of Christ. Secondly, you are the body of Christ. You can guess what the third one is, right? It's you are the body of of Christ. You can see my creativity is really scraping the bottom here. So uh, it's good that Bob is coming back uh, in just a couple weeks to preach. But uh, these are the three points I want to explore with you. Obviously, different emphases uh, for each point. Uh, but first, I want us to look at you are the body of Christ. And what's being stressed here is the unity that we experience as the body of Christ. What this means for us as Christians is that we are fundamentally corporate in our identity 
fundamentally corporate. Now, we have a tendency to think of ourselves as self-governing and self-sustained individuals. And we tend to underestimate the role that community has in giving meaning to our lives and even giving us a sense of our own identity. We underestimate the role that community plays in that. And this individualistic thinking can be seen when we think about uh, countries that have arranged marriages. And we think that that's just absolutely absurd that any country would have arranged marriages because after all, who you marry is a very individual decision, has nothing to do with the larger community, right? Or is that right? Is that just a product of our individualistic thinking? This is also the reason that we can sometimes read the book of Acts in the early life of the church. And some people get uncomfortable reading it because it sounds kind of like communism. Or it sounds like they kind of lived on a commune. And both terms make us uncomfortable, right? Communism communes. There might be a legitimate reason that they make us uncomfortable, but note that both of those terms are related to community. And we sometimes get unsettled by the term community as well. It's also, this individualism is also why we can talk so easily about having a personal relationship with Jesus and think that that means we can have a private relationship with Jesus disconnected from the church. I mean, don't you see that all the time, that kind of mentality? It's important to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But a personal relationship with Jesus is not a private relationship with Jesus. We are fundamentally corporate as the body of Christ. Now, you know I'm a sports fan. I get really annoyed uh, with talk radio that will have these debates about who the best players are of all time in certain team sports based on how many championships they've won. Does anybody know how many championships Michael Jordan won when he played? None. The answer is none. It would be better to say that Michael Jordan was a part, a very important part, of six Chicago Bulls teams that won NBA championships. But we don't talk that way. Because we, 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 we sometimes talk as if individuals win team championships. But they don't. Only teams win championships in team sports. We're very individualistic in our thinking. And that infects the church as well. But as a church, we have to understand that we're not just a group of isolated individuals that happens to gather together every once in a while. We are fundamentally corporate, like a team, like an orchestra, like a body, interdependent upon one another. And it's important that we understand this and the implications of this. It was also important that the church in Corinth understood this. And Paul is correcting them. And actually, Paul seems to speak to two different issues in the verses that we've read. First, he speaks to those who don't think they're very important in the body, and they conclude that they're not needed. But he also addresses those who think that they don't need others in the body. But Paul's point in all this is very, very clear. No one can conclude that the body doesn't need them. And no one can conclude that they don't need the body for their growth and maturity and sanctification in Christ. That's Paul's point. So if you're here this morning and you're in grade school or you're in junior high school 
or you're in high school and you've concluded that you're not very important in the body of Christ, in the life of the body at New Life, Paul says you're wrong. You're a very important part of the body of Christ. If you're a college student that's returned or is here for the first time, and you're concluding that, well, I'm not really from here, I don't have family here, I don't feel real connected here, and I'm only going to be here for four years, or maybe five, maybe six, hopefully no more than six to earn my degree, and therefore my activity involvement is not that important, Paul says you're wrong. You're an important part of the body of Christ at New Life. And perhaps you're a little older now, And you can't do a lot of the things you used to do when you were younger and you've concluded that you can't make valuable contributions to the body of Christ. Paul says you're wrong. You have an indispensable and valuable part to play in the body of Christ. Now, on the other hand, you also might be thinking that you could get along just fine and perhaps even a lot better if it wasn't for all these people distracting you in your walk with Jesus. If you've concluded that, Paul says, you're wrong. Notice as we read this passage that it's God who has arranged the body of Christ in specific locations at specific times, which means that it's God who's arranged this particular group of people in this particular place at this particular point in time according to his wisdom and his purpose. He's arranged us and brought us together. This is said explicitly in verse 18. If you look with me in verse 18, it says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And then again, we read in verse 24, God has so composed the body this way. So it's his purpose. He has brought us together in the body by his design under Christ. So look around at the people beside you, in front of you, and realize that you need them for your growth and sanctification. And they need you. We need each other. We're fundamentally corporate. We, we have kind of a, a tendency, a worldly tendency to have a celebrity mindset that exalts certain gifted individuals in the church over others or, or certain roles over others. Does anybody know what that is? It's an oil plug. It's not real elaborate. It's not very pretty. doesn't get a lot of attention. And I don't know hardly anything about cars. But I know this. It doesn't matter how impressive the body of your car looks or how powerful your engine might happen to be. If you don't have an oil plug doing its job, your car is not going to run for very long. I actually asked Brandon Wagner if he'd give me his oil plug out of his car yesterday to use as an illustration. He wouldn't do it (laughs) because he knows a car's not going to run without an oil plug. It's not elaborate. It's not beautiful, but it's important. I'm I'm convinced that there's going to be surprises in glory, that there's going to be people exalted and celebrated for their service in the kingdom that often are behind-the-scenes people here that get slighted and dismissed and ignored, but they're not going to be slighted in heaven. Because that's going to be recognized. People who are closet prayer warriors that are hardly ever seen giving their heart, pouring their heart out to the Lord for the advance of the kingdom. Or janitors faithfully doing their work 
in service to others. Or moms sacrificing for the maturity of their children. They don't get a lot of attention here, but, but they will receive their glory in heaven for their godliness. And oftentimes their godliness exceeds those of more visible leaders in the church. And I know I'm included in that, but I'm convinced that that's the case. There's a lot of people who are more like ears than eyes. Right? I mean, Paul mentions ears and eyes in our text, but eyes are the ones that get all the attention, right? And all the compliments. When is the last time you ever heard someone get complimented on their ears? It just doesn't happen. Ears don't get any, get any attention, but ears are just as important in the body as eyes are. Now, Paul's purpose here isn't so you can kind of reverse who gets honor and who doesn't. Paul's concern is that all parts receive appropriate honor so that there may be no division in the body of Christ. We recognize the value that all of us have in the life of the body of Christ. So we're fundamentally corporate and there's a unity to be stressed in the body of Christ. But unity doesn't mean uniformity. We're not all the same. This is why Paul says you are the body of Christ and are individually members in it in verse 27. So this is where we're going with you are the body of Christ. This is to stress uniqueness. We're fundamentally corporate, but we're not exactly the same. Paul's point is that all of us have a unique contribution to offer by the Spirit working through us. Paul asks in the text, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? can't all be the same. We have to have different functions to be healthy and to thrive like a body or like a team. A baseball team doesn't need nine pitchers. Who's going to catch? Who's going to play shortstop? A football team doesn't need 11 quarterbacks. Who's going to block? Who's going to tackle? Who's going to catch? An orchestra doesn't need 30 trumpets. Who's going to play the string parts? There needs to be variety, different functions. You know, if in your physical body, your pancreatic cells do not offer their specific function, do you know what happens? You know what the result is if pancreatic cells are not doing what they should do? Diabetes is what happens. When, we're, when we withhold our contribution, the body as a whole is impoverished. It's affected. C.S. Lewis does an excellent job of pointing out how people in a family are not just different people. They're different kinds of people. Now, this is what C.S. Lewis writes. The grandfather, the parents, the grown-up son, the child, the dog, the cat, that's the family, are not interchangeable. The mother is not simply a different person from the daughter. She's a different kind of person in the family. The father and the grandfather are almost as different as the cat and the dog. Is that not true? If you subtracted any one member, you've not simply reduced the family in number, you have inflicted an injury on its structure. I've actually heard people do this. Don't, don't think and definitely don't say to any parent who's lost a child, well, it's a really good thing that you have other children. People are not interchangeable. People, in a sense, are irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. Now, function can be replaced, but people can't be replaced. Uh, next service, we're actually saying goodbye to Abby Gonzalez, 
who was here for her last service consistently at New Life. Three weeks ago, we said goodbye to uh, the Bolting Houses and David and Ashley Myers. The truth is, New Life isn't going to be the same without Abby, without the Bolting Houses, without the Myers, without all these people that keep leaving us. (laughs) It's not going to die, but it's not going to be the same. New Life hasn't been the same the last three months with Pastor Bob gone. Hasn't died, but it's not the same. And as much as we lament the people that are leaving all the time, and as much as it's true that we're not going to get another Abbey, there isn't another Abbey. There's an irreplaceable sense to that. As much as we lament that, we have to trust that it's in God's wisdom and in his providence, that he doesn't want to use us in Abbey's life or Abbey in our life, at least in the same way that he has in the past, in the future. We have to trust in that. But it does make a difference that he's not going to do that. It affects our growth. It, only Abby can contribute her uniqueness. And so our growth, all of our growths, it's going to be different because of that. But as long as we're here together, remember that God has arranged us in this particular place at this particular time, together, according to his purpose. And as long as we're here together, we are to serve one another and to benefit from one another's gifts as we each offer the unique gifts of the Spirit that God has given to us because you are gifted for service to others. Paul says early in this chapter, we didn't read it, but in verse 7, he says, to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's why you've been gifted, so that you can serve others. One part of the body serves other parts of the body. I mean, just think about it like this. Your lungs do not just supply your lungs with oxygen. They supply the whole body with oxygen. Your eyes don't serve just the eyes. They serve the whole body. In fact, think about this. Your eyes can't even see your own eyes. They don't serve themselves at all. They serve the whole body. And your hands don't just wash your hands. Your hands wash your whole body. So parts of the body are to serve the whole body. And the Spirit has uniquely made you and equipped you and gifted you for service to one another. That doesn't mean your specific gift is unique. Uh, There's more than one person that would say has the gift of teaching, but nobody teaches exactly the same. If you have the gift of teaching, the way you teach is different. There's a uniqueness to that that we all benefit from. So once again, look at the people sitting next to you, sitting in front of you, and note that they need your gifts for their sanctification. They need you to be active and involved, and you need them to be active and involved and using their gift as well so that we can grow in maturity. So perhaps you have musical gifts that you can help lead in worship, or you have administrative gifts that can help in organization or can help us be wise stewards with our finances. Perhaps you have counseling gifts that you can share wisdom or gifts in leadership by which you can lead. Or you have teaching gifts that allow you to open up the word and have insights. Or language gifts that can help you translate the word of God and go to other parts of the world to extend the kingdom. Perhaps you have artistic gifts or design gifts that help us see the beauty of God's creation. But whatever gifts God has given you, he's given you those gifts for service in the body of Christ. And if you don't know quite what your gift is, the best thing you can do is just start serving. Because if you're serving, you'll find out, usually pretty quickly, what God has gifted you in. You'll sense it in your own heart. 
and you'll receive the affirmation of others. Uh, you'll, if you look around, Adam mentioned this earlier, but you have the yellow volunteer sheets. If you're looking for ways to get involved, look at one of those sheets, fill it out, turn it in in the box. Because the reality is you are the body of Christ and we need the contributions of all of us and each other so that we can grow. But what ultimately binds us together is Jesus. And so we, well, one more point I wanted to make. Um, not only does our relationship with Jesus bind us to each other, our relationships with each other help us understand and experience our Lord Jesus more. It goes both ways. I mean, we, we often are quick to recognize that, yeah, if we're united to Jesus, we're united to other Christians. But we're slower to recognize that my relationship with other Christians helps me grow closer to Jesus as he works through them and in them to sanctify me. And we are ultimately bound together in him. We are the body of Christ. And so what is emphasized here is authority. That we are the body of Christ stresses authority. The body of Christ carries with it the idea of possession. The body of Christ is Christ's body. He owns it. He rules over it. So as the church, we don't belong to a body that is run by majority rules. We actually are members of a body under a head, under his authority. We're under a monarch, and we ought to submit to his will, both individually and corporately. John MacArthur says this well. It's a lengthy quote, but I want to read it with you this morning. MacArthur says, As members of Christ's body, we are not to do our own will but the Lord's. The arm does not have one will, the foot another, and the eye still another. Each is controlled by the head, the mind, will, and spirit. It is possible for the body to be so remarkably coordinated only because it is directed by one will. One will tells each part of the body to do what it is best designed and equipped to do, and consequently they work in marvelous harmony together. How much more should the Lord Jesus Christ control his own body, the church of which he is not only head, but creator? So we can think of ourselves as a single army fighting one battle under the orders of one general. We can think of ourselves as an orchestra playing many different parts, but playing one tune under the direction of one conductor, or to use the metaphor that Paul employs, we can think of ourselves as a body consisting of many members, but under one head, obeying him and following his will together. And ultimately, we are united to Jesus by his spirit, and we are united to one another by that same spirit. The spirit is the basis of our unity, dwelling within each and every one of us and binding us together. For we've all been baptized into one spirit. That's, that's Paul's emphasis here in the text. One spirit, and we all partake of that. And it's also the spirit that not only unites us, but gives us life. A body without a spirit has no life. It has structure and form, but it has no life. And if the spirit is not dwelling in us, we have no life. But if he is, if the spirit is within us and among us, then the reality is you are the body of Christ. But not only does the body of Christ stress authority, it speaks also of love and grace. Because we're members of Christ's body, not by virtue of any merit or accomplishment of our own. We're members of the body of Christ by his love and grace that's been given to us through his death and resurrection. Jesus gave up his physical body to be crucified 
in order that he might make us his spiritual body. And he was physically raised from the dead to give us hope of eternal life. And he poured out his spirit after his resurrection to bind us to him and to unite us to one another. And so, if you are the body of Christ, love the Lord who so freely gave himself to you that he might adopt you as sons and daughters and might include you in his family. And seek to obey him who is the head of the body. And as he has loved you, he's commanded us so we ought to love one another. So let us also freely give ourselves in grace and in mercy to love one another and serve one another. And as you think about how you can serve one another, remember these things. Remember your unity. Remember your uniqueness. And remember your authority in Christ. And above all, remember that you are the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your love and your grace that you would redeem sinners and call them into your family. We thank you for the reality of that. Help us to live as your children. Help us to live as the body of Christ, loving and obeying you and serving one another with that grace and mercy that we have received from you. May we do this to the blessing of one another and to your glory. Amen.